Okay, uh, one last thing I wanted to mention. I think I said it, but I want to be sure that it was heard. You always want calcium and magnesium to add up to 80% of that bucket. If you have, say you, it adds up to 90%, that means you have more of one than the other. But that doesn't mean that it's not in the soil. This happens a lot where people have a high calcium level, but it'll be, when you add them together, let's say you had 80% um, calcium and 10% magnesium. Remember I mentioned there's a one-to-one, -one, did I mention that? I hope I did. A one-to-one -one relationship. Maybe it was in an individual conversation here. There's a one-to-one -one relationship between calcium and magnesium. And for every point that calcium goes up, magnesium will go down. For every point, if it's the other way around, if, if magnesium goes up a point, calcium is going to come down a point. So let's look at the 80%. And so, because this has, this has to do with how, whether you're really getting the structuring that you think you ought to have. Let's say if you had 80% calcium and 10% magnesium. If you, brought, if you wanted calcium to be a 68 and you brought it down from 80 to 68, that's coming down 12 points. That means the magnesium is going to go up. It's just it's tied up in the soil. It didn't leave the soil necessarily. And, and so... Well, you want them to add up to 80 total. If they ever add up to more than that... No, no, uh, between the two of them. So you want 60 to 70% calcium and 10 to 20% magnesium. Um, basically, most in the, in the average soils, 68 and 12 is, is the range that you're going to want to be in. It, it changes when you go lower. If you get lower CEC soils, that starts to change, and the calcium comes down, the magnesium goes up. Um, you always have to maintain a minimum of two, uh, 250 pounds of magnesium in the soil to have adequate for the nutrition for the crop. And so when, as you start, your CECs get lower, we're not going to go into that. It's beyond the scope of this class. It's how you calculate that all out. But as your CEC goes lower, your total pounds are going to go lower as well, depending on what percentage you have there. And so it changes how you determine what that, what that should be. We take a couple more classes for us. We could go over that. It would take a couple more classes, but I'm afraid I'm already behind where I'm supposed to be. Um, but what I, wa I just wanted to illustrate, because of that relationship between the two of them, if you had 80% calcium and 10% magnesium, which is a total of 90, if calcium came down the 12 points to 68 that you wanted it to, magnesium was going to go up 12 points. And so now you're at 22% magnesium. You're in an excessive level of magnesium. And even though it's at 80-10, like if you had a soil test on it, it's at 80-10, and it looks like, well, you're at the lower end of the magnesium, you ought to be fine. The chemical impact on the, soil, on the physical structure of that soil is still there. You're not going to have the porosity that you think you're going to have until you get to an 80% combined total between the two of those, and you bring down and out of the soil the excesses of either one of those if, if they're there. And so... A lot of people will say, well, I only had, they'll look at it and say, my soil is still tight and I, I, I only have 10% magnesium. And I say, well, well, how much is the calcium? And they usually tell me it's, it's higher than the 70% that would have balanced it out. It's 75, 80, 85. I've seen as high as 90. Um, so always, the, always calcium is higher than the magnesium? Always. It needs to be. If calcium ever goes low, if calcium ever goes below magnesium, nothing will grow. Things start dying. Sulfur... It takes two pounds of elemental sulfur to take out one pound of calcium or magnesium. 
And so you'll use sulfur to leach it out. You're basically going to leach it out. Now you're going to hopefully try to do it in a way you can use most of it. But if, you got, if it's too bad, you've got to get it out of there before you can get the conditions that you need. Uh, and we're getting ready to do potassium and sodium. Potassium and sodium are a single plus charge, so it takes one pound of, of sulfur to get e one pound of either uh, sodium or potassium out of the soil. But the thing is, the reason you have to, remember I said that you had to have a minimum of 60% of calcium before calcium will hold? Um, until you get a certain calcium level, the soil is not open enough for anything to go anywhere. Magnesium is keeping it too tight. And there could be other factors like high sodium or high potassium levels. Potassium plugs the soil up, and sodium dis uh, dis disperses these aggregates. Just, they just fall apart. And they just flow into every nook and cranny in the soil, just totally plugging it up and sealing it up. That's why if you have a, 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 a high sodium soil, it has that kind of that runny feel to it. And when it dries, it's hard as a rock and everything, because everything just ran together, and you basically have a rock. And that's why it feels like that. Well, that's because water can't move through them. Water can't go through it, and if it can't drain off of it, if, it's, if the terrain is such that the water can't drain off of it, and it can't percolate through it, um, then it becomes a swamp, or a lake, or a pond. It's the difference between wetlands and wet soils. Two different things. Magnesium tightens the soil up. Sodium disperses those aggregates, and they just flow into every pour there is and plug it all up and that's why the water can't drain out it just becomes all to totally plugged up and so you got to get that you got to get that sodium out of there and the only way to get it out is to raise the calcium level and get sulfur on there but you got to raise the calcium to a certain point before you can ever start putting the sulfur on because until you get a certain amount of flocculation it's not going anywhere anyway so and, and you wind up losing the cal you actually lose the calcium Aluminum, I think, comes into, uh, comes into play in that whole situation, too, because once you get down below a certain pH calcium level, aluminum starts, just starts taking its place on the colloids, and uh, it's a triple-plus charge, and it's hard to get off. So, Okay, we're going to do potassium and sodium now, unless anybody has any other questions. We may have to move a little bit faster to try to get through this. Um, okay, potassium is a, is a single-plus charge. K is the, the elemental... Uh, letter identification for it. Um, the roles that it plays, it processes, it's in the process that produce stock strength. Potassium is one of the keys to stock strength. Manganese and copper are the other two. If you don't have adequate of those three, you're not going to have adequate stock strength. It also is a regulation of leaf, leaf transpiration and gas exchange. It controls the, the stomata, the, the openings in the leaf. It controls how open or closed they are. As a result of that, it is also part of water use efficiency. The more, the, if the plant has adequate potassium, it actually allows you to use your water better than it would other, the plant would otherwise use it because it tends to keep the stomata down closed more and they don't transpire as much moisture and so you don't use as much water to, um, to grow. Uh, it's also involved in winter hardiness and it's also a mobile, um, it's a mobile element in the plant. In fact, it doesn't make Many it does not uh, built into very many compounds in the plant. It's more of a facilitator all over the place. It uh, this job. It it's a single plus charge, and so it has half the strength of a calcium or magnesium atom. So it's going to get knocked off. Um, we have a situation where we've got a couple people where they're they're 
pH, this is where pH comes into play. If your pH is over about 6.5 and you're deficient in potassium, you just need to put maintenance amounts on because you're not going to build it. Now, if you can use compost or manures to do it, you can build it in that situation. But with a commercial source so like potassium sulfate or some other source uh, providing the potassium, you're not, there's nowhere for it to go. And so it's just going to wind up leaching out of the soil and you're going to waste it. So you want to put on only what you need or spread your applications out over multiple applications to make sure and, and make sure that the availability of the potassium is there until you can get the pH down. In other words, you've got to get some of those other cations off of those colloid sites, those charred sites. So there's somewhere for it to go. There's nowhere for it to go. It's, it's going to lose the fight between calcium and magnesium in it. It's not going to knock them off. Uh, deficiency symptoms, because it's a mobile element, it's going to be on the older leaves, and it tends to be a scorching or a yellow, yellowing of the leaf margins, the out, outer edges of the leaves, is where you're going to get the yellowing and the, and the dying of the leaves or the scorching of the leaves first. And it's in the older leaves that it starts. Excesses, um, Luxury consumption can lead to other cation deficiencies. In other words, if you've got l a luxury amounts of potassium there, it's what's called, it, it, it's what you would call kind of mass flow. You know, if you get a, if you get a mob of 100 people and, and there's five people to try to <laughs> oppose them, sometimes that doesn't work. And so it just overwhelms, it overwhelms the system. And... Uh, this is typically in a situation where you're, you're marginal in your other cations like calcium and magnesium, particularly calcium, and they use a lot of potassium to drive yield. Right. So photosynthetic yield, they use a lot of potassium. That's how you get it. Right. It's bulk. Photo potassium is used to put the starch in the seed. And so you can, you can drive bulk with that, but you can't, that's photosynthetic yield. But it's not necessarily biosynthetic yield because of all the rest of the components that would have been there because of the calcium levels being what they should have been are not there. So you've got a lot of starch, and, and a lot of people wonder why they, they, they gain weight and they can't figure out how to get rid of it or lose it. It's partly because the, the foods that we're consuming are, are largely calories. They're not nourishment. It depends on how, what your need is. If you're, if you're up at a really good level, you may only have to put a small maintenance amount on. If you're really deficient, you may have to put a whole lot more on. But and maybe it's 5% of that total, right? Yeah, now, yeah, I'm sorry. I, didn't, I, I, was, I was planning on having this paper in here. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mention that. Of your 100%, of your 100% bucket, you want a minimum of 2% of that bucket to be filled with potassium. But if you have a lower CEC soil, a smaller bucket, that's not going to be enough to grow a healthy crop. And the upper end is 7.5%. I take everything to 7.5% unless somebody tells me I just don't want to do that. Uh, if you have woody crops especially, any, any berries, any vining crops, they're not, you wouldn't necessarily think of them as woody, but if you're growing an indeterminate tomato um, or cucumbers, uh, trees, fruit trees, all of those, anything that's a woody crop, you want it, uh, grapes, you, you, you're really better off at about 7.5%. Well, that would be, depend on the CEC, it can range anywhere from 300, 250, 300 pounds all the way up to 1,500, 2,000 pounds, depending on how big the bucket is. You, get, you first figure out what the percentage is, and then you figure the pounds out, how many pounds that winds up being. But if you were in a CEC of 
of 25, you're going to wind up with a requirement of, well, Robert, you got some soils like that. You're going to wind up with a requirement of 1,500 pounds of calcium. I mean, uh, potassium, I'm sorry, in order to balance, to balance everything out. Whereas if you have a CEC of eight, seven or eight, it may only be four or 500 pounds. It's all about maintaining the balance. There has to be a balance between all of these elements for them to all work the way that they're intended to work. That's why you have to know how big the bucket is, and then you know what percentage of material to put on. Um, some people ask, well, what would be the ideal CEC if you, if you had an ideal CEC? Well, you have the CEC you have, so it's not really relevant, but you know, somewhere around 12. It's got enough holding capacity. The bucket's big enough that you can, you can grow well. You can grow higher, higher yields and grow in a higher density situation. But it's not so big that it costs you so much money to fix it if it's, if it's out of whack. I mean, there's a big difference between being short 150 pounds of potassium and being short 1,000 pounds of potassium, if anybody's looked at the price of potassium sulfate lately. Um, it's getting pretty expensive. So here, here are your potassium sources. Potassium sulfate um, is one of the biggest ones. It's 50 to 52 percent. K2O again, it's not elemental K. You have to multiply that by 0.83 if you want to see what the total actual elemental potassium total is in the, in the material. Um, and 17 to 18 percent sul sulfur usually on that. Sulpomag and Kmag come back into the picture again because of the 22 percent potassium in it. Um, whether you can use these materials just depends on where the state, what the state of the other materials in it is and whether they're needed or not. Uh, green sand is another natural source, about 6 to 9 percent potassium. It's not rapidly available, but as, a, as a building a reservoir of potassium, it's a great source because it's got a high cation exchange capacity too. So you can add some CEC to your soil with that. Um, it's got other, other materials in it, elements in it as well. Granite dust is about 4 to 6 percent. Again, it's another material that would be a long-term investment as a, as a reserve to be utilized over time. It's not something you're going to get immediately in the soil. But it doesn't leach out as bad. No, these materials are not going to leach out on you very bad. They're going to hold in the soil as well, fairly well. So, um, Different animal manures are compost. I meant to put compost on there with it as well. It's 0.5 to 3 percent uh, K2O. Um, and in a situation where you have a high pH and you can use manures because there's, there, there's not something else in it you, do, you don't want, or compost, you can build potassium levels with compost and manures where you can't with the commercial source. It's a different dynamic. It's a biological dynamic, and, um, and, it, and it behaves differently. <laughs> it's, it, in spite of what it might have sounded like early on, the, 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 the organic side of it, is, is what you're wanting to get to. The, the key is you just need to get there in the right way. You, if you're messing yourself up in the process of trying to use organic matter to solve all the problems, you're, just, you're not going to get where you need to be. Um, kelp or seaweed is anywhere from 5 to 16 percent potassium or K2O. Um, it's a great source because it has a lot of trace and rare earth elements in it, and there's a lot of these things we just don't know what the benefit is from it. But I can tell you research has shown that there are some rare earth elements that will double and triple lifespan. There, there are rare earth elements that will reduce energy consumption by 50%, just in parts per billion. But this stuff is, you know, it's so far in the back corner 
of people's minds in, in, the, in the research community. So, so I try, one of the things I try to do is all these things that I'm not sure about. I use a material every year that brings all those things with it to make sure that I'm putting it on the soil and it's there. So whether it's seaweed, kelp, or sea minerals, which we'll talk about with the sodium, or a product like azomite, which is a mine uh, marine product that provides a lot of those. I just put them on there, in there because I don't know um, how they're beneficial, but I do know that when they're there, the plants take them up. Okay, the role, sodium. Sodium is also a single plus charge. It's required for proper growth of barley and crops in the goosefoot family, beet, i.e. beet, spinach, Swiss chard. So there are certain crops, a lot of crops don't seem to, to need sodium, but these crops, a lot of the amaranth-based crops, need, uh, they need to have adequate sodium. Now, you, you want anywhere from 1% to 3% of the bucket to be filled with sodium. 1% is adequate, um, but you can go as high as 3% of the bucket. However big the bucket is, 3% of the bucket is a good idea to have 1% in there. You can go as low as a half percent, but if you're growing any of these crops, you want to be sure you're at 1%, or they won't do real well. One of the things I didn't mention about magnesium, nitrogen use efficiency is, is dependent on magnesium. And the reason for that is that if the soil is too tight, it takes more nitrogen to produce a unit of production. It's, it's less efficient. Uh, when the magnesium is in the right, when it's in its right level and the porosity is right, it takes less nitrogen to, um, to grow a crop. And one of the things I want to mention uh, about sodium is that sodium can be substituted for potassium. It's not necessarily a good thing, but it can substitute for potassium in the, in the cell wall. Now, can anybody figure out a, a risk that that might be? If you get warm, humid weather, it'll cause that cell to expand. That sodium is going to draw water in, and it's going to cause that cell wall to expand and burst. And it's, you're, you're, going to, you're going to kill the plant. And you'll see that happen. A lot of people will say it's a nematode problem or this or that and everything, but no, it's the, the sodium levels, the, the potassium-sodium balance is not right. That's, that's a lot of times when the sodium actually gets higher than the potassium, on, and that happens on soils, um, where sodium will be substituted in the cell wall, and when you get those stressful conditions, the, the cells just expand and burst, and, and the plant dies. And it's called a lot of other things, but it's a chemical imbalance, it's a mineral imbalance. Um, the other thing that, to know about sodium and, and uh, potassium is you never want those two to add up to more than 10% of the bucket. If they add up to more than 10% of the bucket, they're going to block out manganese. This is where balance, this is where balance comes into play. Manganese. It'll block out manganese from getting into the plant. Doesn't matter how good the level is in the soil, it'll block out, it'll block out manganese. And one other thing about potassium, if you get over 7.5%, that's why it's the high is at 7.5%. If you go over 7.5% of the bucket uh, holding, having potassium, you're going to start tying up boron. So all of these things work together, work with each other in balance to achieve the objective. And whenever any one thing starts moving out of its sphere of influence and begins taking too much influence in, in the system, it begins disrupting something else. And too much calcium can tie up the boron. Yeah, calcium can tie everything else up, everything up, if your calcium levels get too high. Um, the deficiency symptoms with sodium, it, there's not a whole lot 
of factors out there, but poor growth and yield of the, the sodium requiring crops. The biggest uh, problem is in excess, where a bigger problem is in excess, where substitution for potassium potentially is potentially resulting in tissue rupture and damage. Um, again, it affects pH four times what calcium does. And so if you have high sodium levels in the soil, it can drive your pH really high. And pH does affect the availability of other nutrients. Um, so pH is not unimportant, but if, it, if you've got excess amounts of sodium in the ground, it can, it's, messing up your, it's messing up your soil structure, and it's messing up the pH. Uh, it's potentially being substituted for potassium, and, and tissues being built in correctly, and it can come back to haunt you. Uh, you usually have tissue, p parts of the, the, the leaf or just die, turn brown. A wilted, like, delicate plant? It, no, it doesn't wilt. It's not it doesn't wilt. It just bursts. It well, starts pulling in water, more and more water, until the cell wall can't hold it anymore, and it just pops. And then that part of the plant, that tissue dies because you just destroyed the cell. And if you've got a lot of that, you can get away with it, and you'll never notice it if you don't ever get the hot, humid weather for an extended period of time. It's usually a few days. You can generally get away with it, but if, and you won't ever notice it. You'll never see it, even though the sodium substituted there. But if you do get those conditions, you'll start seeing plants dying from it. And they don't just wilt, they? No, they don't wilt okay. at all. They don't wilt at all. Just, they, they're pulling so much water in that they're turgor. They're, they're, they're pretty upright and rigid because they're pulling so much water in. It's like blowing a balloon up. You know, it gets stiffer and stiffer and stiffer. It doesn't get uh, weaker and, and more wilty. Okay, these are your sources. Now, most people would think, why are you putting, who in the world would want to put sodium on their ground? People read, read stories, most of them warped or distorted from what their history really was. The Romans, you know, growing across Carthage, salt in all their fields so they wouldn't grow. So, um, But there are, there are areas in the... the the United States that are deficient in sodium. And you go up into South Dakota and uh, parts of Minnesota and up there and everything where they grow barley, they have to put, they put rock salt on their fields to get the sodium levels higher so that they can grow a better barley crop. And uh, they had a big battle with the state over that because they, would, they didn't want to allow them, they, they told them they were going to destroy their soil and they, they weren't going to allow them to put the salt on. They were bringing it in by the semi-loads, rock salt, to spread on their fields because their sodium levels weren't, weren't high enough. Yeah, no, iodine is one of those things that we don't even, I mean, here's a disconnect in the whole system. You've got, you've got people growing crops, corn, soybeans, um, milo, you know, all these different crops. And they're only putting on, they're not even putting on all of the nutritional elements that are necessary to grow a nutritious crop. They're growing, they're putting on what they have to put on to produce the yield. And then what are they feeding with that? What are they, where is that crop growing? It's either going to feed animals and then ultimately people are going to eat the animals or it's going to feed people. Well, people need a whole lot of other nutritional elements than, than the plants do. And so if the growers are saying, well, the plants don't need that, so why should I bother putting it in? We ought to make a two plus two connection there between our health and, and the reality of the food that's being produced for us. Um, 
because they're putting on all that they have to put on to get the crop. They're not putting it on for animal and human health. And the argument is, well, the plant doesn't need it. Well, first of all, we don't really know if the plant doesn't need it. And second of all, I think God created the system as an interdependent system. So there, because people will say, well, what does aluminum have have to do with anything? Who would want to have aluminum in their diet? Well, you may not want to have it in your diet, but the chemistry in the soil depends on aluminum. And in order for the, the chemodynamics in the soil to work to provide the nutrition to the plant, you have to have aluminum. So it's not necessarily that, that we need aluminum for our nourishment, but you can get a better corn crop when the aluminum level is right in the soil. A lot of people never even heard of that um, if, if it's not at the right level. And so what we need to do is we need to grow crops recognizing that the ultimate use of this crop is for nourishment of, of either animals or people, whichever it's going to be. And so we have to take into consideration what nutritional elements are necessary for the animals and the people. Now, the livestock industry, they just supplement. They use a lot of drugs, too, now. The livestock industry, they just put a lot of mineral supplements into the feed because they know if they took them out, what would happen if all, this, all of the supports, all the interventions were all of a sudden pulled up and taken out? It would be a disaster because all the, none of those animals can survive on the plant foods that are provided to them. None of them. We can't either. And so we're making this assumption. That's why I say we're making this assumption about, you know, it's one thing to make the right food choices, but making, the, making sure that the food choice is fully nourishing, is filled with all of those things that it should have, is a second level, a second step that we need to take that we're not taking. And so, you know, Eating plant-based foods, there's a purpose for that. But making sure that the plant-based foods actually are fully nourishing is an entirely different thing. And so, you know, that's what you want. But if you, if you don't know that, whether it is or not, I can tell you that growers, they're backed up against the wall and they're only putting in what they have to put in to get a crop. And that doesn't include the things. Um, like I recommend, we'll get to it, I'll talk about it then, uh, cobalt. Cobalt is the center molecule in B12. And 80% of the microbes in the soil need it. We need it. Animals need it. Plants don't, supposedly. And so, so it's not applied. But if you want to fix nitrogen naturally, you better have cobalt in the soil because the biology that fixes that nitrogen, especially organic growers who want to you know, fix their own nitrogen, but anybody, um, you got to have cobalt or it's not going to happen and molybdenum, um, but we're, we take a position that we have to have a lacto-ovo vegetarian, lacto vegetarian diet in order to make sure we can get B12. B12 is the sole reason for that, B12. But if cobalt is in the soil and cobalamins are produced and your gut is not so suppressed by um, poisons, that are coming into food, B12 is generated in the soil. It's taken up in the plant. Now, I'm going to give a caveat here because I don't want anybody to walk out of here and say, oh, Whitmar said you didn't have to take your B12 anymore or however you're getting it. There are conditions that must be met for that to happen, but it can happen. That's my point. But if we're not putting the, the nutrients into the soil for that to happen, 
um, it's not going to happen. And you're going to have to get it from some other source. But it doesn't have to be that way. Okay, sodium sources. Sodium nitrate. Saltpeter it's called, too. Bulldog, it's Bulldog, what's the brand? Bulldog, Bulldog soda. Um, if you need sodium, not a lot of people do, but if you need sodium um, and you need nitrogen, you can, you can use that source. Tobacco growers used it a lot because um, it was beneficial. Sea minerals, the content can be variable depending on the source of the sea minerals, whether it was a, a, the full content of sodium when they dried the, the water or did they skim off part of it? There's different methodologies there. Did they, uh, sodium chloride will crust on the surface when they're drying it, and they'll come and skim some of that off, and they'll reduce the total sodium content in the sea minerals. And in some of them, they take you know, almost all of it out. But if you, this is a great source of sodium if you need it, because, again, you have a lot of trace and rare earth elements coming with, the, with that material. And, again, um, kelp also has a certain amount of sodium in it because it's coming from the ocean. They wash a lot of it off, but they don't get it all off, and so you have sodium that comes along with that too. And another good source of other trace of rare earth elements. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.